All right, welcome back to the SportsMed Analytics Podcast. I am Deepak Chona. Thank you very much for joining. Now, we are here week 11. The Texans are awesome. Please hit that subscribe button and we'll get right to it. Starting with Justin Jefferson. Now, the data on this, on wide receiver hamstrings, actually strongly favors a return for Jefferson, but the comments very much suggest the opposite. So we would lean towards Justin Jefferson sitting week 11, coming back week 12, probably logging a full practice next week. And then when he does return, the data favors him returning at 100% production. There is about a 15 to 20% re-injury risk for the next four weeks. And that's probably why they're slow playing this to this degree. But Justin Jefferson should be full send in your lineups as soon as he's back. Then Devon Achan. Now, these MCL sprains actually average about three weeks. He's now had five. So the data on these when running backs, especially young running backs, return is usually pretty favorable, meaning that one, they don't see a dip in their workload, and two, they don't see a dip in their efficiency. So HN data favors him being basically right where he was when he got injured. Keenan Allen, the data says 75% chance he plays. He did log a full practice at the end of the week. Wide receivers dealing with AC joint sprains that are pretty fresh tend to have about a 10 to 15% performance hit. And there's a little bit of a re-aggravation risk. If he falls directly on that shoulder again, that could make this worse. But otherwise, Keenan Allen should be plug and play as well. Nico Collins, he should be close to what you saw pre-injury. He had a mild calf strain, and we can say for confidently that it's mild because it only kept him out one week. And with that, he now projects to come back at near full strength. There's a little bit of a re-injury risk here, but it's about 15%. And that's kind of what we saw happen with Joe Burrow earlier in the year, as we all know. So hopefully he avoids that outcome, and if so, then Nico Collins very likely back to stud form. Next, Jalen Hurts. So Jalen Hurts was looking a little hobbled at the end of his Week 9 matchup with the Cowboys, but he was still able to run a bit. We do expect major improvements. These injuries for bone bruises in the knee take about 4-6 to weeks to really heal, but in that time, about 2 weeks now that he's had to rest, we would expect really significant and fast improvements. So Jalen Hurts probably getting back to some of the designed runs that you saw in that Super Bowl matchup against the Chiefs. Josh Allen, I think he's a little more injured than we're being led on to believe here. And the reason you can say that is because he had video evidence showing he fell on his shoulder, had a hurt shoulder basically, and it looked like an AC joint sprain. And that's this area right at the corner of your shoulder. And it affects quarterbacks when they're throwing forcefully, or in other words, when they're throwing the deep ball. And if you look at Josh Allen's numbers, there's some that may look like it it is affecting him. So his average depth of target pre-injury the first seven weeks of the year, 9.1 yards. That has since dropped to 7.7 over the last three. Now, the other thing with this AC joint sprain for a right-handed quarterback is that it'll hurt the most when he's going across his body with a deep ball, or in other words, throwing the deep ball to his left. And if you look at his PFF grades on deep balls going to the left in his healthy years, 2020 and 2021, those were 92 and 95, so well over 90. 2022, I would omit because he had the elbow issue half the year, 
But if you look at this year, his deep ball going to the left, 69 in the PFF scale. So it does suggest that there may be some impact of this injury. It's hard to know how much of that is the injury and how much is just the disorganization and the offense and the coaching staff. But I'm watching this one pretty carefully, especially if he takes any other hits. Then we're really going to have some concerns for Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen, and, and the rest of the offense. Tyler Lockett. So he has missed practice all week. The vast majority of wide receivers in this situation would sit the coming game, meaning that he would sit week 11. But in the Seahawks, we would make a little exception to that rule. The reason being that they are pretty liberal about resting their veterans and especially their veteran offensive players. We've seen Lockett and Metcalf many times this year just miss practice multiple times in the week and then play as if nothing happened. With Lockett, we would lean slightly towards him sitting. This is a little bit more of a gut than a data call. So with Lockett, if he is out there, though, the data does favor an efficiency dip of 15% because he's been dealing with this hamstring now for about four weeks. Garrett Wilson, he's questionable. He's dealing with an elbow. He's come out and said he's going to play. We very much expect that to be the case. Wide receiver data on elbow injuries is actually pretty promising in that when they are active, despite being listed with these elbow issues, they tend to have pretty low performance impact. So Garrett Wilson, the performance impact here, of course, is limited by his quarterback play, but Garrett Wilson, we do expect a, a good performance. Trevor Lawrence, his coach came out, said that he has been dealing with an injury and it's been limiting their offense, specifically their ability to move Lawrence around in the pocket. If you look back to the last two weeks, Trevor Lawrence has had a combined three rush attempts, which is, of course, much lower than his baseline. He's not necessarily a running quarterback, but he does have that mobility. And the last two weeks suggest that he's been really going through it with this knee. Of course, the week before that, when he was fresh off of this likely MCL sprain, he did rush the ball eight times for about 50 yards. So... We aren't thinking that Lawrence is healed at this point because he probably had some sort of reaggravation that led to the last two weeks decline. But having that extra bye week in week nine, or rather in week 10, should make week 11 look a lot better and feel a lot better for Trevor Lawrence. The data favors a week 13 to 14 return to 100% mobility if he avoids any sort of reaggravation. Next up is Damian Pierce. Now, the Devin Singletary train has left the station. Everybody's on board in Houston running Devin Singletary. But Damian Pierce is likely going to work, eat into that workload next week. He's going to be probably out week 11, coming back week 12. The progression and the timeline here strongly suggests that this was a high ankle injury. And in that case, Damian Pierce projects to have about a 20% efficiency dip when he first returns. We saw this apply to Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, and now Damian Pierce is likely going to have the same trend. Noah Brown has been also balling out recently for the Texans, and he is going to be probably out this coming week. And then most likely, although we have limited information, the data would favor him coming back week 12. TJ Hawkinson, he played, he was excellent in week 10. Now, he's going to play Week 11, and the fact that he's logged a full practice suggests that he is back to at least 90% in terms of his 
pre-injury pr production expectations. There is usually a performance hit from these oblique and rib area injuries, and he actually projected to have that last week as well, about 15%, but was amazing nonetheless. We expect 90% by the data at this point, but with TJ Hawkinson, he kind of outperformed the data last week. No reason to really expect anything different this week. And week 12 would be the projection of when he returns to 100%. And then we have a couple of big name quarterbacks coming back. Matthew Stafford first. So he had the UCL sprain of his thumb. This does not project to cause any efficiency dip or production dip for Stafford as long as he's able to avoid re-injury. And that's kind of the key here. If he takes a bad fall, takes a bad hit, these do get re-injured sometimes. And that's sort of the only outcome that we're worried about. Otherwise, if Stafford avoids that outcome, the data favors a low impact of the injury on his productivity. Justin Fields finally coming back. We think Justin Fields is going to look basically like his pre-injury self. We don't have real concerns about him being able to grip the ball, throw the ball, run the ball. Those will all probably return based on sort of what the typical data progression suggests for these. The key with Justin Fields is similar to Stafford. If he falls on this awkwardly during a tackle, that would be the sort of red flag re-injury mechanism, and that's what we want to watch out for. Next up is Saquon Barkley. There was some talk earlier this week that maybe Barkley re-injured his ankle, and he's been, of course, he had the high ankle, and he even came out and said this is likely to linger most of the year. These do linger, but players tend to return to full efficiency, and that's kind of what Barkley has already done. We don't actually expect much of a performance hit. It expects to be pretty low. The key with Barkley is, of course, that Giants offense until week 14 when Tyrod Taylor is eligible to come back. The Giants offense is likely to be a mess. Andrew Thomas, his injured lineman, is likely playing. Evan Neal, his other injured lineman, likely out. So Saquon Barkley, there's a couple of concerns here. Uh, if you have him, you probably have to start him. But Saquon Barkley is probably not himself an injury concern. It's just a mess around him. Alexander Madison, this one's kind of interesting, and the reason is that he is in the concussion protocol, has a chance to clear. This is Saturday afternoon at 2.30 p.m. Central Time, so he hasn't yet cleared, but we may see Alexander Madison clear before the game. If he does, then data would favor him returning at full strength and full workloads as well, and he did log a full practice, so even though the Vikings did recently hold out K.J. Osborne when he did clear concussion protocol. I would be a little surprised if they did that with Madison because he has been practicing. Then we have Raheem Mostert and Aaron Jones. A little bit of the same story with these two guys. Older running backs, they have been injured. Raheem Mostert's was an ankle injury, and now he projects to be pretty much past any dip from that injury itself, especially off of the bye week. However, with Raheem Mostert, we're expecting load management here. We're expecting that with limited practices all throughout the week for most of this year. And we do expect the same with Aaron Jones, limited practices all this week as well. And you probably won't see an efficiency dip on either of these players, but they're both 
going to have an elevated re-injury risk. For Aaron Jones, related to that hamstring, it's about 15%. For Raheem Mostert, he has multiple knee surgeries in his history. He has a knee surgery in his history, multiple major knee injuries in his history, and now this ankle. So there's a lot of reason to load manage these guys, and you may see more of a committee approach as the season progresses here. Michael Wilson is a little bit of an interesting case as well. He has a shoulder injury, and that's what he's listed for now. He had a limited practice on Friday. But before that was off of the report, it suggests to us that this was re-aggravated, and he had a shoulder that made him miss week nine earlier this year. So Michael Wilson, we we do anticipate him playing, but it's a little dicey, so you really got to watch those reports closely as we go up to game time. If he's active... You would expect a mild performance dip, about 10%, based on the injury report and practice progression. And these late season, late week additions to the injury report do have a bit of a higher rate of having players sit, but we lean towards Michael Wilson being out there. Pat Fryermuth, he is coming back. And the good thing about this re-aggravated hamstring now post-IR stint is that when players return from an IR stint like this, as you saw with Deontay Johnson earlier and Cooper Cup before that, they do come back at full strength. And so that's the good news. The bad news is that when you have a re-aggravated hamstring in season, for the next probably four to six weeks, you're looking at an elevated re-injury risk for Pat Fryermuth. So probably in that 15% range, according to our data, based on his profile. Christian Watson has been banged up. He had limited practice sessions all week this week. That is not really the norm for a player of his age. He's only about 24 years old. So Christian Watson, the data favors him having a lower, an efficiency dip compared to normal. And if he stays healthy, then by week 13, that same data projects him being back to full strength. Ramondre Stevenson, so he had some back Sounds like spasms or maybe a back strain last week, but he was able to play through it. And that's kind of the typical of what we see. The data favors no lingering performance impact on this. And so we should see a full strength Ramondre week 11. There's a mild re-injury risk or re-aggravation risk, but otherwise Ramondre Stevenson, probably a plug and play for most situations. Khalil Herbert, he is finally back. And the data favors a mild performance hit, meaning about 15% of an efficiency dip when he comes back this week. The key here is that there's no typical, typically no workload limits when players return from a high ankle after this much rest. And his teammate, Deontay Foreman, is now dealing with what seems to be a mild ankle sprain. And while those don't typically impact availability or efficiency and production, they do tend to lower running back workloads. So what we expect to see here is a heavy dose of Khalil Herbert and a lighter dose of Deontay Foreman. Next up is Bryce Young. Not much to say here other than that he was limited early in the week with a hip or a thigh. It sounds like a contusion. And Bryce Young, though, is very likely playing. We don't anticipate much performance impact of this injury. Will Anderson for the Texans, he has been a great contributor recently, but has been dealing with a knee injury. The mechanism suggests that it was probably a bone bruise. And with Will Anderson, the thing you have to note 
is that he played last week and then this week was a full participant in practice Thursday after being limited on Wednesday, but then went downwards. And you really don't want to see that. He did not practice on Friday. And that progression rates him as a 60% chance of sitting. So a little bit of a problematic situation for Will Anderson. Hopefully he's out there, but my expectation is he's probably not. Then we have Jair Alexander. Now, this one's to be determined, but we would lean towards him playing. He has just returned to practice after a shoulder injury. When elite players, and Jair Alexander certainly qualifies there, when they are able to log two consecutive limited practices after a shoulder injury, two-thirds of them play that following week. Then his teammate, Rashawn Gary, now his status is also to be determined. He sustained an injury on Friday, and that actually means about a 60% chance that he does sit. So it's a little unclear on the severity of this shoulder injury that Rashawn Gary just sustained. But again, 60% chance in the data that he does sit. And then we have DJ Chark. He's playing. He's coming back from an elbow hyperextension type injury, it seems. He is playing, and the data favors no performance impact at this time. Then we have Zay Jones. So the progression on Zay Jones suggests, one, that he's ready to return, and two, that he would have a low performance impact. He's been out with a re-aggravated knee issue for several weeks now. The re-injury risk upon his return is about 15%. The real question for us here with Zay Jones is, will his legal situation impact his Week 11 availability? And, and we don't really know the answer to that. It seems like it would be a judgment call for the Jaguars, but they are playing a divisional matchup, and we suspect they're going to play him if he's available. Then we have Jalen Guyton. This is another case of a late-week addition to the injury report. These guys often do miss the game. And the data projects, in his case, a 60% chance that he sits week 11 and returns week 12. Now, we go to a couple of season enders that happened on Thursday night. First, Mark Andrews. Now, in very most cases, this is probably a season-ending injury. Basically, what happened is that he was in that famous hip drop tackle mechanism. So his ankle was turned outwards and he was being it was kind of being dragged for a prolonged time. It caused his fibula, the bone on the outside, to break, and then it resulted in basically the equivalent of a high ankle where he, the ligaments that connect the two bones up there got disrupted as well. So surgery for that usually looks like restoring the fibula, plates and screws, and then putting a device called a tightrope or something similar to it across the tibia and fibula, the ankle bones, and holding them back together. This is usually a season ender for most people. The reason being that return to jogging typically is an 8 to 12 week post-surgery timeline. Return to sports usually averages 4 to 6 months, closer to that 4 to 5 range for NFL players. But NFL players push their bodies to the very, very extreme limits, so it would be a little surprising if he is back, but it wouldn't be totally impossible if he's back at the very end of the playoffs. But if he is, I would expect him to be extremely limited. The good news here is that although I expect him very strongly to be out for the rest of the year, the data suggests that these recover pretty well. So I wouldn't change his dynasty valuation going into next year really at all. And in fact, if somebody's worried about him, I would probably just try to buy low. Then we have 
Joe Burrow. Now, this one hurt me as a Joe Burrow dynasty owner, but the good news here is that we do expect a full-strength Burrow for next year. So he injured what sounds like a the ligament and cartilage complex that stabilizes the wrist. When he released that ball and it he felt that pop, that is very likely the TFCC, and it hurts with wrist rotation, which is kind of what he needs to do as he cocks back to throw. Also why he probably, as he wound up on the sidelines, we could see him basically go into that rotation and then immediately drop the ball because it just had a sharp, sharp pain. It's sometimes it's possible to play through small tears in the TFCC if you get an injection especially, but in this case, they got the MRI, and it must have shown a large enough tear that it wasn't worth the risk. Getting to these acutely, meaning shortly after they happen, bodes well in terms of surgical outcomes. But surgery does mean he's out for this year. Again, the silver lining here is that he is probably full strength for next season. And that comes from a publications showing that TFCC repairs show about 90% regain their full motion, range of motion and grip strength. So overall, the outcomes are very much in his favor, according to the data. And for what it's worth, I know there's been a lot of talk about was he injured before, should we have known, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Joe Burrow had a compression sleeve on pregame. That's not a brace. It's not a splint. It's not something that stabilizes anything. It's really just designed to help with swelling. So what it tells me is that he probably had a mild sprain of his TFCC before, and that, yes, did predispose him to the tearing, but it's hard to hard to say that he really should have been listed on the injury report, given that you saw the drive that he put together right before he went out. It was maybe the best drive that anybody's put together this whole season, considering it was against one of the best defenses as well, and he was missing T. Higgins. So with Joe Burrow... 2024 week one he's back at full strength this is not really an injury prone player i would say this is kind of a freak incident the one thing you do wish is that joe burrow would have better o-line protection you saw there there was a stat posted recently by dove Kleiman, great reporter who that showed that andrew luck actually had fewer hits fewer sacks than joe burrow at this point in their respective careers and Andrew Luck, we know, retired at age 29 with all the massive list of injuries. Joe Burrow had an ACL. That's not really his fault, uh, but it is, of course, kind of a, a fluky play. And then he had this calf strain, also not really related. And now he's dealing with this wrist injury, this TFCC tear. And again, I, I wouldn't call any of these related. I wouldn't call Burrow injury prone, but it is a series of bad luck and as a Burrow Dynasty owner, not too thrilled about it either. So that is all we have for today. Again, if you can do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, maybe do a like or a comment, all that good stuff, and we will catch you next time.